No, sorry, not now. I think he's from a crowd of strangers. Suddenly one is aware of staring into the face of an old friend. Now, look, seriously, could you just... Interesting thing, a tuxedo. There's distinction to friends and anonymity to waiters. Ah, I chose this wine. It's bloody awful. What a couple of lightweights. You couldn't even make it to closing time. Can you whisper? Not really! Two True Freaks presents Hope of All Trades, hosted by Hope Molnax, talking like a man and fangirling like a lady since 2010. Ask me. Why are you smiling? Because Sherlock Holmes has made one enormous mistake. The game is something on. Yeah, that, that. Did you miss me? Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope of All Trades. My name is Hope Molinax, I'm the host of this awesome podcast. Today I'm flying solo, no guests or anything, and a couple, about a month ago I did a preview to 221 Beacon. It's my favorite convention of all the conventions that I go to, and this was its second year. And I just wanted to share my time with you there and just kind of so you can kind of see what was going on and how much fun this convention is. First and foremost, I just want to thank again the directors of Did You Want Beacon for coming on to my show and talking about it. I am so happy that you guys took the time with me and I'm really, I'm glad I get to see you because if you guys don't know, these are actually my friends too. We were friends in real life and that's something I do love about this convention and I think that's why I'm very biased to it. This is probably the only convention that, like, 70% of my friends are attending. Pretty much my only friends that don't attend this convention is, like, friends that I had in high school and college that are, aren't really into that. Pretty much outside of that, all my friends, like, all my artist friends, all my buddies, they go to 221 Beacon. So I'm very, I, I absolutely love this con. It's so warm and welcoming. And so I just wanted to talk about it a little bit. But thank you guys again for coming on my show a couple episodes ago. I, <laughs> going into 221VCon, I was terribly exhausted, um, <laughs> so that's why I, I probably didn't have um, quite the energy I probably would have had normally at a con, because previously I asked for that weekend off, like, like really far in advance, and I got approval for it, and when I started the week, I had, like, 14 hours, so I was like, oh, well, we'll have plenty of time to get ready for the convention. Well, then I picked up five shifts in four days. And I ended up working, uh, like, in the eight days right before the con, like, 50 hours. And I was just crazy exhausted for most of the weekend. So I pro- I'm i so sorry if I, at any point in time, came off as being mean or grumpy or if I was just out of it. Like, hey, welcome to Night Vale panel. I was so out of it, that, that panel. I'm so sorry. I ended up switching my shifts. And the the first kicker offer of 221B Con was that Thursday night was the premiere of Captain America Winter Soldier. And I've, I've already, I was on our Two True Freaks uh, Five Minute Freak review, and I was also, uh, I've re- also recently recorded a nine hour podcast for Winter Soldier <laughs> with my buddy Angel, and I'm definitely going to be breaking that up into several mini episodes. Um, so be looking forward to that. Instead of talking about Winter Soldier, the movie itself, I'm going to talk about the experience. Because I went with about 50 Sherlockians. <laughs> and we had, like, a big group go. And so, for one, it was so much fun. Because I was watching this movie uh, with a bunch of Sherlockians. We're all fangirls. We know what it's like to fangirl. 
But it, it was fun because something I like about Tatooine Pecan, there's all these other fandoms there. Like, there's Star Trek and, and Doctor Who, and there's Supernatural there, and Teen Wolf. And so it's, even though it's a Sherlock Holmes convention, there's a, there's a fandom for you out there. Like, there, there's all sorts of fandom. Like, you could probably walk in dressed like a stormtrooper, and everybody would just be like, Hey! Stormtroopers! Hey! And that's something I like, because, uh... The, the Sherlock Holmes fandom, especially on Tumblr, is so open and welcoming to other fandoms. And that's what I love. So it was super fun to go see it with about 50 Sherlockians. And <laughs> I love going with like-minded people because we were all into it. Like, every single one of us was just, like, gasping and just squealing and, like, freaking out. But I have to say to you, Mr. Asshat, there was this one guy, because keep in mind, I was with, uh, like, 50 people, and I'm pretty sure that everybody except for one or two guys were all girls. And there's this one asshole that, like, halfway through the movie, he, like, him and his guy buddies were just like, man, shut up! And was, like, like yelling at us because we were just enjoying this movie so well. And my buddy Bo was sitting uh, in front of him a couple seats down, and finally at the end of the movie... Uh, when the lights were coming out, she stood up and turned around and said, I don't think you know exactly who you were yelling at. And the guys look over, and they see about 50 pissed-off girls, and this guy realized that he was greatly outnumbered by the number of girl fans that was sitting there, and I've never seen a guy run out of a theater so fast. Like, he booked it out of there. And his buddy who apparently was the nice one of the two, kind of looked at all of us and just went, I'm really sorry about him. I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. And then just walked out. So I'm, I just want to say, like, you know, I, I talk about a lot of times, like, being a girl fan and how hard it is and stuff like that. Well, I, a lot of girls like stuff like Captain America, and we read the comics and stuff like that. So don't be that asshole because we were completely enjoying the movie. And we were just having so much fun, and it was it was just so great. And I really enjoyed being able to see Winter Soldier with so many like-minded people, and it was it was just great. It was a good, it was a nice kickoff to a big old fandom filled weekend. So then Friday, Friday is when the convention actually started. I'm going to pull out my convention schedule right here. Uh, the con didn't actually officially start until about five. That was when the first panel was, and the the first panels were. And uh, when it comes to, they opened registration so we could all pick up our badges. And I have to say, I was really excited. I even though I went to Enchanticon as a member of the press, I never got a badge. So it was so much fun to have my first official press badge. And it has a nice black ribbon and gold letter that says press. And I'm so excited. And it's wonderful. And it, God, the art this year is gorgeous. Kara did the art last year and did the art again this year. Um, and it's, it's wonderful. It has uh, Benedict's, John Lee Miller's, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s, the Granada, and the Great Alice Detective all on the badge. And it's really cute. But yeah, uh, the first uh, the first panel started at five. So most of the day, um, we didn't really do much except for like we got some food and we hung out. And it, it was I'm kind of happy they did this. Like at like while well, part of me it was like you know there's not a lot of stuff for do to do. You know I, I said like seventy percent of my friends go to this convention, and so it was. And a lot of these people they haven't seen each other in a year. So not just me, but like a lot of the people there. So it was a good time for all of us for one to sleep in. Like, oh my god, I slept in so late that day. I was exhausted. But uh, it was a good time to sleep in and to wake up and just to get ready and to meet up with your friends. And so I saw so many people 
just hugging because they hadn't seen each other in months to a year since the last two two on Beacon and just reconnecting and finally happy and to see each other again. And it was just, it was wonderful to see that kind of love and uh, camaraderie and all the artists were setting up their booths and I'm friends with like half the artists in Artist Alley and I get to see my buddy Daunt who I haven't seen in several months and I get to see Cara and Jackie and seeing their amazing booths and Aaron, Michelle and like all my friends that I just don't ever get to see, my buddy Allison and I was sad my buddy Sam had a wedding this weekend so she wasn't able to join us except for she got to go see Captain America, uh, she got to hang out with us right before Captain America and like my buddy Amanda and it was just, it's super fun and we also, uh, but there was one thing that happened a little bit earlier, early in the show, it wasn't an official event but Three Patch Podcast put out an announcement and gave out pamphlets that they were going to do a live show in their con suite. Well, first let me tell you about this awesome-ass con suite. It was amazing. They got there a day early, and they, they had a suite with their room. And they pimped it out with everything Sherlock Holmes. Like, they made a fake fireplace, and it looks just like the fireplace. In, and it has, like, you know, gray brick and everything. They made a fireplace. They had this, like, little no peeing sign, which was hilarious. And they had this stuffed dummy of John and that was, like that had a noose around his neck. Kind of a callback to that one episode where there was a dummy hanging in 221B. You know, and, and they decked it out with lights. They had all sorts of food for anybody. So if you were ever hungry and you didn't get a chance to eat, they they had um, that set up for you and you could go and get like a small snack or a meal to replenish yourself. And it was it was awesome. Like I I have a couple pictures on my Tumblr and I'll see if I can try and like find a way to upload them to this website. I wish I could I upload just pictures to the website. Yeah, Three Patch Podcasts were amazing. They really went above and beyond making this con suite. Anyway, so uh, at 3, they had a live show, and I, I wish I got there sooner, but a lot of my friends were getting ready for the tea party, like my buddy Allison uh, made tea-infused marshmallows, and they were made with the Sherlock Holmes teas from Adagio. And then, like, Kara, uh, who was running the tea party, was, like, trying to make swag bags and stuff like that, so the first chunk of the day, I was helping them all get ready and, like, staple stuff together and fill bags. But I, I was able to get up there and catch about the last 15 minutes of their show, and it was cool because apparently what Three Patch does on occasion is they'll take Sherlock Holmes characters and sort them into Hogwarts houses and talk about like which house they would go into. And it's a cool little like crossover fandomy thing. And in this live show, they were talking about uh, Sherlock Holmes's family, and so they were sorting Sherlock, Mycroft, Mummy Holmes, and Daddy Holmes. And it was interesting how different people took on different versions of these characters. Like for example, people were completely split about Mommy and Daddy Holmes. Like, most people were like, yeah, Sherlock's a Ravenclaw and Mycroft's a Slytherin. Though a few people were like, well, no, we actually think that Sherlock is a Slytherin. Or, and then a couple people were like, no, he's a Gryffindor, he's brave. Like, you don't have to be... I mean, look at Hermione. She's the brightest wizard of her age, but she's a Gryffindor, not a Ravenclaw. And so it was interesting to see everybody's take on it. And they were actually using, like, references from the show and from the books to defend their reasons of sorting Mommy and Daddy Holmes. And it was, it was great seeing how people also took different interpretations of these characters, and I really wish I could have got there sooner. But if you want to hear this entire episode, uh, Three Patch Podcast has the episode up on their podcast, and you should check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. 
But yeah, it was it was really fun, and I wish I got to see more. And I, I did get to throw out one opinion, but I probably sounded drunk because, like I said, most of the weekend I was terribly exhausted. But uh, check out their Patch Podcast, and actually, if I can give a small shout out to them, uh, they're the reason I got my new microphone, and that's why my quality sounds amazing. They suggested uh, the Snowball mic, and that's what I'm looking at right now, and it has a nice pop filter. So thank you guys for for that suggestion and letting me like look at the microphone that you guys had there at the con and letting me play with it a little bit because it really influenced my decision to get a new microphone and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's it, the quality is off the charts and I <laughs> I sound worlds different than I did before in my last several episodes. So thank you guys so much for that. After the Patch podcast, and as I said, I was helping many of my friends get ready for the tea party. We actually had the tea party, and the tea party is hosted by Kara. Last year, it was an event the night before the convention. This year, it, it was so successful that it was actually it was actually an event for the convention. Next year, if you're planning on going to the tea party, make sure you buy your ticket early because it's only for about 300 people. If you if you listen to my show, you know that I've talked about Kara, and she has uh, she's a great artist. She's a comic book artist, um, and she's made and designed a lot of teas teas on Adagio. And her artwork for these teas are stunning. You should totally just look at the artwork and just Google, like just blur, like just gush over it because it's so good. But yeah, she's she's known for making these teas on Adagio. What's special about the the tea party is they get a lot of cosplayers to be the hosts. So you're you're being served tea by Sherlock Holmes and John Watson and Moriarty and Molly Hooper and Mrs. Hudson. And, and, and Anderson, and, and so it's really, really fun, and they'll suggest teas to you, and they're, they're in character when they give you teas, and you'll see them kind of squabble a bit, and just play it out and say in character and stuff. So it's a really nice, um, it's incredibly nice to watch that, and it, it's fun to watch it too. And, you know, it's, it's just a big relaxing event. It's a nice kickoff, you know, I, I hung out with a lot of my friends, and like I said, I haven't seen them a lot of them in a while, so we were all able to sit down and just talk and catch up and drink tea and eat food. I have to say, hotel, you have to give us more food because about 30 minutes in, we didn't even have half the people into the the hotel when we, there was already running out of food. Hotels in the future, if you host to do one becomes, know two things about Sherlockians. We eat a lot, and we drink a fuck ton a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> know that if you're ever wanting to host to do one becomes next year. Um, but it was great, and if you, if you pre-ordered your ticket, they had about 200 tickets that were pre-ordered, you got a cool little swag bag, and in the swag bag, I'm gonna pick it up, oh, well, I emptied out my bag already, uh, you had a ticket for a raffle, they held a raffle, and it was just a bunch of, like, little, uh, things, like, artist work and stuff like that, and there was a print from Kara, there was a print from Interjax, I believe, and I was excited about that, because I've been wanting, uh, Interjax work, um, but they had some really cool prints, um, you also got a marshmallow from my buddy Allison. Like I said, she makes tea-infused marshmallows. And Allison's an amazing baker. Um, and <laughs> to, to a total, like, side note, uh, she works at a bakery near where they film Walking Dead. And uh, Norman Reedus lives in the neighborhood her bakery is in. And so uh, he will just, you know, when they're filming, just come in a couple times a month and eat macaroons. And she totally knows Norman Reedus on a first-name basis. And anyway, so I just always like that story. And, um... And apparently Norman, uh, Mr. Reedus went to Canada, and, like, one of Allison's friends in Canada was like, hey, you know my friend Allison, she works at Bakery, and he's just like, oh my god, I love Allison and her macaroons, so, like, he's, like, really, apparently, like, he's an incredibly nice guy and stuff. But yeah, they had, like, you got three or four prints, you got a original from Cara for this year's tea party, she, 
Uh, every year she designs a, an, uh, an official image just for that tea party. It's really fun, so you got marshmallows, and it's it's just a very casual event. I really highly suggest it, though, because it's a good time just to chill and to end the night and just have a generally good time with everything and just to catch up and be with your friends. Well, as I said, there was a raffle, and you got they were raffling off all these cool things, but also they kicked off the silent auction for the Beacon Society. They had everything laid out, and these items were incredibly nice. Like, oh my god, they had these... Uh, antique Sherlock Holmes teapots, they had original artwork, they had, oh gosh, like someone had, I think there was like a knitted blanket, I wish I took a picture of the silent auction stuff, but, and all the proceeds went to the Beacon Society, and we talked about this um, in my uh, preview to do on Beacon, but just to refresh, uh, the Beacon Society is an organization whose uh, one goal is to make sure Sherlock Holmes is kept in schools, and making sure that young people read Sherlock Holmes, and it's a really great cause, and it was just like they they kicked it off and the the silent auction was all weekend and i i really wanted to try and get some artwork because someone who i absolutely just gush over in the fandom is reaper sun i absolutely love uh their artwork and i i've been really wanting to own some reaper sun artwork and she did this book um a couple months ago and it's called like the benedict cumberbatch book and it's or it's like the abcs of benedict or something like that but every letter is one of his roles, and so, like, when you have K, you have Khan, when you have S, uh, S you have Sherlock, uh, M is Martin, or actually, no, I think, I think Martin is C for Kreef, actually, and, and, God, I just, I saw that it was there, and just, this is the first night of this convention, and it was already going for, like, $200, and I was just like, oh, that's, like, all my money for this weekend. So I, I was really sad, and I, I still hope to the, like one day I will be able to get Re- Reaper Sun's artwork because it's it's gorgeous. You should totally go check it out. But the tea party party is just is so much fun. But while I was talking and helping them set up, I was I was uh, helping at the door and and helping like pass out swag bags and and stamp people's hands and stuff. I struck up a conversation with uh, a con goer. Her name was Laura Jefferson. And she was interesting, and we were just talking about, um, as, as she was waiting for her stuff and they were trying to find her name, all, already she was just talking about how she was excited about the wide white range of fans there, and she just seemed so interesting. So I pulled uh, Miss Jefferson to the side. She talked about how she felt really comfortable at this convention because it was dominantly women. And she loved seeing the different kinds of fans because they had everyone for, uh, fans from the original canon to BBC Sherlock to Psych to House to um to the Granada series, even like the Grand Mouse Detective. And she also talked to me about a con as a whole and how um being at a con can affect a person and how you feel accepted at a convention versus having to hide who you are in normal life. And I did a quick interview with her, so I hope you enjoy that. So here's uh Miss Laura Jefferson. Now can you tell me your name? My name's Laura Jefferson and I'm on AO3 as Rhyolite and on Twitter as at the Seraphorm. And you had like a story about Tutu on Beacon. You were telling me how much you loved it. I loved it. I came here, last year was the first one they had. I had expected it to be about maybe 70% women. It was about 95% women, which was fine. But one of the things that impressed me about it was the level of enormous relaxation. And I don't think it was just that it was mostly women, although I think they probably added to the sense of relaxation, but it was a whole bunch of people who knew they didn't have to worry about being shamed for being fans, who had a culture in common with all of the in-group jokes from Arthur Conan Doyle and from the BBC, and to some extent Renata. So 
we came from all over the place with a common culture that some of us had met online before, and it was just the most relaxed time I have ever had and one of the best cons I've ever been to. I've been to science fiction cons since the 70s. Nice. Now, what's your favorite part about Tattoo on Beacon? I liked, well, the first one, the first hotel had a much better lobby. And it was ideal for sort of drive-by encounters and running into people and reading their tags and finding out who they were. This one, it's um, it's a bit more chaotic because it's a, the hotel is a bit noisier acoustically. But I, I love being able to meet people from all over the internet and meet people whom I hadn't known on the internet before and attach names and faces to people that I only knew as screen names or even AO3 summaries. Is there any panels that you're looking forward to this weekend? I'm looking forward to the fanfic panel because it is so wonderful to be with other fanfic writers. I'm not prolific, but I don't. Where I live in New Hampshire, people think Facebook is cutting edge, and I don't know any other fans of anything very much. I know about two people who have a Tumblr at all, and they're not Sherlock fans. When I'm here, there's just I have so much in common with a whole bunch of people all different ages, but we have um, the Sherlock stories and other things like Dorothy Sayers. There's a lot of people who know Dorothy Sayers. There's a lot of people who are familiar with the major science fiction things. It's just so nice to be with people you share a culture with. I totally agree. <laughs> it's hard to be a girl in a fandom, so... It, I, I, I was never in that much science fiction fandom that I had any of the encounters that a lot of people have. But for some reason, it's just, it's so relaxed here. And women dress up, and women dress down, and women practically undress, and it's all <laughs> fine, and it's so relaxed. And it, I, I think it's a very special place, and I think it would be a very special place even if there were more men in the fandom. But right now, the culture is very kind and very accepting of all kinds of different, of age difference and gender weirdness and you know, heterosexuals are accepted as, as equals. It's very nice. Well, thank you so much for your time. Later on, as we were sitting in the convention, I was sitting in the tea party, uh, I met a friend, I met somebody through my, my, some of my other friends, and he was one of the very few men at this convention. Because uh, if you don't know about TG Beacon, I'd say it's probably about 90% women. And his name is Robert Mack, and we, we struck up a conversation. We are talking about, like, superheroes and stuff like that. And he just seemed incredibly interesting, and so I put him off to the side, and I started talking, uh, I interviewed him about what it was like to be one of the few guys at a convention, in a convention that's very dominantly girls. And he talked about um, going to a guy-heavy convention, like Dragon Con or something like that, versus going to a girl-heavy convention. And he also talked to me about what he loved about Sherlock Holmes. So here's Mr. Robert Mack. Alright, so right fast, uh, can you introduce yourself right fast? My name is Robert Mack. Uh, do you have like any Twitter, Tumblr, or anything like that? Um, right. <laughs> I got I got Facebook. It's all uh, Mac Expo. Alright, only if you are you okay with people friending you? Sure. Awesome. So at two two one Beacon, it's very prominently girls. Like, so how does it feel to be like a guy and all? I don't mind this at all. It's actually quite fun to around other fans in general, regardless now, of their gender. <laughs> now, do you go to conventions a lot? Yes, I'm a big sci-fi anime geek, so I like going to Dragon Con. I'm in Atlanta, lots of play on cons. Because I know uh, the difference between when I go to Dragon Con, sometimes there's like tons of guys, and I'm the only yeah. girl. And so, um, how is it going to a convention that's like male heavy versus going to a convention that's female heavy? 
Um, is like the atmosphere different or something? Yeah, it's kind of different. Yeah, more um, because the, the, the girls are more fangirls and they're a bit more they, they understand each other a lot more than going to Dragon Con and they freak out. Some people looking odd, but going to a con with mostly girls is mostly really cool and everyone's really open and they they get you. What's your favorite part about Sherlock Holmes? Just his personality. He's just like a badass, and he doesn't really care much what everyone thinks think about him, except for Watson. And then, what's the one thing that you're looking for most to, to do on Beacon? To what? what are, what's the one thing you're looking most to, to this weekend? Um, the costume contest and seeing everyone dress up. <laughs> are you dressing up? No, I was just taking pictures of everybody, though. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for your time. No problem. After that, <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much we spent the rest of the night drinking. We we had a bunch of people in our room hanging out, and then we also were hanging out in the lobby. And like I said earlier, there's one thing about Sherlockians. We can fucking drink. <laughs> we can drink like crazy people. I think at, uh, last year at last 221BCon, the um, the bar ran out of booze. They were not expecting us. Like Some of the people were like started drinking at like 10 a.m., 10, 11 a.m. from the moment they woke up. And it was just so much fun. We had a blast. Like, there was a lot of cosplayers out. Like, these two women were walking around. And they had printed out Benedict Cumberbatch's and Martin Freeman's faces. And they were just walking around wearing their faces and masks. My buddy Scott dressed up in a big pink bunny suit. And it was a call. And I asked him, I was like, are you channeling your inner Christmas story? And he was like, yes, totally am. And then there's these group of people who I absolutely love with their costumes. They had these, like, dinosaur heads on. But their dinosaur heads had, like, monocles and, like, tiny little top hats, and they just walked around like that all weekend. And it was just super cute. So, yes, we definitely had a bit too much drinking. And just to throw out a little fun story, about 2 a.m., me and my buddy Amanda and my buddy Tracy were starting to get hungry. And so we decided that we wanted to go and find uh, some McDonald's, just something, because it was, like, 2 a.m. We knew it was going to be late. And this was the perfect example of the Doctor Who episode turn left because we pulled it up on our GPS and there was two McDonald's that were really close to us and they were equal distance away and <laughs> I feel like there's like some moral to the story and the one to the left um, which uh, the one to the left was a little bit hard to get to because we had to cross a median and so we decided to turn right because it was uh, the easiest to get out to and we drove to that McDonald's and we got there and it was closed and so we pulled up on the GPSs again, and there was two more McDonald's that was close to that one. And so we drove to that uh, to the next McDonald's, and it was closed. And we drove to a third McDonald's, and it was closed. So 40 minutes later, we finally were just like, okay, let's go to this other McDonald's that was right by the hotel. And it was like, let's just go ahead and go, and we should have turned left. And we got there. And 40 minutes later, we finally find this 24-hour McDonald's. It was, like, literally three minutes from our hotel if we had decided to take the trouble to cross the median. And it was open, and I looked at Amanda, and I was like, you know, I better get a damn unicorn in my Happy Meal after this long-ass drive. And sure enough, I get my Happy Meal, they have my little pony toys, and I pull out a goddamn unicorn! (laughs) And my buddy just, like, cracked up laughing. So, and I still have it, and so I have this unicorn from my uh, journey to McDonald's uh, that took, like, almost an hour to do, (laughs) but I feel like there's, like, some sort of symbolism that if we would have just taken just a little bit of trouble to turn left, we would have got to McDonald's and would have been back in 20 minutes instead of driving around Midtown or wherever we were 
uh, before driving around Atlanta for like an hour trying to find this McDonald's because turning right was easier. So I feel you, Donna Nobles. I understand you, girl. I totally understand you from the McDonald's point of view. So, uh, that was the end of Friday, and we all kind of crashed out because we were all pretty tired. And then Saturday started, and Saturday is really the big day at the convention. It's when the most, it's when the, uh, most stuff is going on. And so I wanted to make sure I got to certain events, and, and there were certain things I wanted to go to. And the first thing I remember talking about in our preview to 221 BeaCon, uh, they were talking about how they were excited, excited that there was a craft circle this year. And so I, I kind of... Being, I, I, I was really interested, and I wanted to go see what the craft circle did, and I, I just wanted to give it a listen, so, and, and just to see what kind of crafts they were doing, because when I think craft circle, I'm thinking, like, you know, you're stringing beads together, and you make friendship bracelets, and I was also a camp counselor uh, for a summer, so, like, that's what the craft circle was, was we made, like, beaded friendship bracelets, and, like, the little, do you guys remember from the 90s, like, the string lizards, and, like, you made lizards out of beads, and how cool those were? I was so flabbergasted they were still teaching kids how to make beaded lizards and stuff at this camp. Anyway, that has nothing to do with 221BCon. And so I wanted to make uh, a point to go to the craft circle just to see what it is. And it was led by the 221B group on Ravelry. Ravelry is this great website. It's free um, to find different kinds of patterns for like knitting and crocheting. And um, it was they, they wanted to start up this group because they had seen a lot of people last year just sitting around and knitting. And so um, it was led by, I believe, my buddy Amber. And I'll talk about Amber a little bit later. She was on the Welcome to Night Vale panel with me. And it was cool. They had, like, these starter kits. So if you wanted to learn how to knit, they gave out this, like, 221BCon, like, pot holder dishcloth uh, pattern. And they had people that were not only just advanced knitters, they, they also were teaching people how to knit, how to crochet, how to do latch hook. Um, one girl was making headbands, and they had all these different kinds of crafts, and it was cool because they could just sit around and just talk about Sherlock Holmes and just talk about the convention and talk about friends and just catch up and just sit and knit or crochet or latch hook. And it was just, it was just so much fun. So I decided to interview them as a group. And to see about the different crafts, and also I just wanted to kind of, I, I knit myself. Um, I wish I could knit more because I just don't really have a lot of time to. And they were just warm and welcoming. So uh, here's a, a short interview with me talking to different people in the craft circle. Hi guys, what's up? So I'm currently standing in the craft circle right now, which is something that we talked about in the Road to Super One Beacon episode. It was, uh, it's new this year, like this is the first year, right? So, how, how, how are you guys enjoying the craft circle? Great. What sort of projects is everyone working on? I'm expecting a baby booty. I don't know if the baby will be able to wear it, but it's happening. What about, what's there, I saw a goldfish over here. Yeah, he's already knitting. He's part of my cosplay outfit. Oh. Now, is anyone here that's, like, learning a new craft? You are learning a new craft. Yes, I'm learning. What's your name? Alice. Hi, Alice. Hi. So what are you learning how to do? Um, what am I learning how to do? Just knitting. Okay. So how's it feel? All right, how's it feel? Like, I'm sorry. I, I probably had, like, no coffee this morning. So. Like, is, is it, are you finding it as difficult, or are the people here helping I don't, out? I don't really know what's happening, but every now and then she looks over and she, like, does something, and then it goes back to what it should be doing. So, yeah. It's overall. overall. Well, it looks like I'm a knitter, too, so it looks like you're doing really well, so. And what are you doing? 
I'm doing latch hooks. What what is latch or la- latch hook? Oh, latch hook. Latch hook. I had to look at your your, your tablet. I was like, latch hook. Yeah. Yes, it's French. <laughs> I was thinking Russian. My name is Sam Dukre. So what is latch hook for anyone who doesn't know? You have like this kind of mesh looking fabric. Mm-hmm. What latch hook is? You take like a two-inch piece of yarn, uh, and you hook it into a knot to make a very large pattern, and it ends up being a very beautiful rug. Oh, cool. Yarn mosaics. Yeah. Can you say one of them? Kind of like yarn mosaics. Cool. I've never, is, is it hard? It's actually incredibly easy, and I recommend it to beginning crafters all the time. Okay. Um, and then, so, can you show me how to do one? Just because I'm interested. I just sorry, podcasters. This is more for me. So, well, you take the yarn. Okay, it's about two inches. And then you have your hook. It's got this little fiddly bit. That's important. Okay. So what you do is you hook it through the yarn. You hook it through a hole. You push it through, and then you twist it around the fiddly bit, and then pull it back through the hole. Oh gosh, that's like incredibly easy. That's amazing. <laughs> that's all it is. Even you can do it, boys. It's really you can make like really cool rugs. I also have needle felt, which is essentially taking wool and stabbing. There are so many awesome crafts I've like never heard of before. <laughs> but, um, thank you so much. Not a problem. And I heard I saw someone over here with a Captain America shield. What are you making? <laughs> I see Captain America. Yeah, I had to come running. Yeah, uh, Captain America shield for a headband for a friend. <laughs> oh, cool. And they uh, provided all this, or did you bring it? Oh, I brought it. Yeah. Okay. Am I a hook shirt? I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I might. That's how why I'm like a blogger. I have a second blog, and it's just a what's by time blog. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually I have my cards with my blogs on them. So, what's it called again? Um, my well, my personal blog is Geeky Girl Experience. My second blog is uh, Once Upon an Obsession. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's nice. So I'm working on an Afghan to answer your previous question. And I heard that you were you're running this one, right? And that, oh, is it Amber? Amber's running it. Oh, Amber, what's up? So you're like, working on it? I'm I'm working on an Afghan. I'm basically working on one massive mitered square because you don't have to count while you're doing it. Okay. And um, I'm, I'm, we're, we're giving informal teaching knitting lessons. Uh, my local knitting group gave me some kits to hand out. So it is the Holy Narf's free 221B washcloth pattern. Oh, cool. And then they uh, people donated yarn and needles. And so we're, we had about five of these kits to give away. Oh, my gosh. I want um, one. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, there's one, two, three. I've lost track of numbers. Oh, no. I've lost track of number four, and five has been reserved because I know there's somebody coming. Oh, that's totally okay. Is there a place where I could find? This is more for me. Where yeah, okay. Find this this is um, there's someone called Holy Narf, H-O-L-Y-N-A-R-F. Yes. And she does Doctor Who and Sherlock patterns. They are for free. They are on Ravelry, and they are out on the internet. If you do Holy oh, Narf. Who, um, I don't know her name. Her with the hat about Ravelry. She yeah. told me about it. Yeah, but these these are on the web for free. So you just go look for Holy Narf. Okay. And and there's a lot of Doctor Who and there's about three or four Sherlock's. Actually, you can have mine because I'm not going to be able to figure out 
in the midst of those. I'm just going to like do straight, 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 straight. Okay. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's yours. I really appreciate that. Oh, I really appreciate that, guys. But, uh, I think it's everybody. Everybody fast. So, uh, how did this come about? Um, the knitting or the... The craft circle. The craft circle? Well, actually, I think last year they just noticed that so many people were sitting in the lobby working on crafts that they decided to give everyone a room to do it. And I'm one of the uh, founders and the co-mods of 221B on Ravelry. And so, we, yeah, we made it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we made a big push for people to come out. We'd love for you to join us on Ravelry if you're on there. Um, Ostensibly, it's about knitting and Sherlock, but I think it's about 90% pictures of Benedict Cumberbatch. The nice lady over there was showing me, and she was like, you look at our pig spam folder. Yes, we passed over, I want to say, 2,000 posts. Yeah, page 2,000, that's what it is. I just checked last night, we're on page 2009. Yes, one of our posters has over 8,000 posts in in that thread alone. And she's one of our major pick spammers, so every post is like five pictures. What's the name of your rivalry group so people know where to find it? It is 221B. There are a couple of others, but they're sort of spin-offs, actually, of our group. Ours is the one that has the little Sherlock logo. And you can tell because it says, Welcome to the Time Suck. Well, thank you so much for your time, Amber. I won't keep you anymore. Oh, sure. High five. There's so many panels on Saturday I wanted to go to, and I didn't get a chance to go. But I was getting ready to go to the cabin pressure panel, and there was a panel right before it called The Science of Destruction, a Mora Mori Cosplay. And let me tell you something about this. It's run by Toby and Zoe. And Toby and Zoe are known in the fandom on Tumblr for being having, like, the most amazing Moriarty and Sebastian Moran cosplay. And they do these uh, role plays openly, and they make gifts and videos, and they take a lot of photos and stuff, and they've been doing these two cosplays for years. And the thing about this panel is, I've always wanted to go from the beginning. I've, last year, I caught it in the last 20 minutes, because I was getting food, and this year, since I was in the craft circle and doing my interviews, I missed this year's panel too, and I was only able to catch the last 15 minutes. But... I swear, I swear one day I will see this panel from beginning to end, because it's one that I really want to do. But just to give you a little bit of insight of what it was like in case you want to go next year, Toby plays Moriarty and Zelly plays Moran. And it's fun because they will answer uh, questions in character. So if you ask them, you know, like, what do you think of that troublesome as Sherlock Holmes, like, Toby will flat out answer it in her awesome Moriarty voice and just pretty much just be perfectly in character. It's amazing watching how close, uh, how much she studied Andrew Scott's performance to be able to play her Moriarty. And then on the opposite side, Zoe is incredibly fun to watch because there really there hasn't been a Sebastian Moran really in in the uh, in the show, and so she has pretty much an original character that she's created from the ground up, and she's giving them a great. Uh, she's given Moran just great backstory. Sebastian has like this uh, reputation about being like the green tiger in the fandom and stuff like that, and in the stories. And she actually had a story about why Sebastian was called that and how he was on a mission and they were in this like tropical country and he was sniping um, when he was still in the army. And what happened was like tiger. Uh, he he was killing this drug lord and the drug lord had a tiger and the tiger was trying to attack. Sebastian Moran, and he's like, okay, well, I guess we're killing tigers now, and so, like, that's how uh, she had this great story about how, about, about his backstory in his life, and how he started working for Moriarty, 
it's fun watching them though because they it, it's great seeing their theories about these two characters and it's also great to hear their thoughts from the show and it's because they're looking at the show and they're looking at the original canon from the villain's point of view and 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 it's it's a completely different insight like like they have no problem being like well we don't like this part because we think it's a little bit weird and it's it's also because it's not really close to canon but also because it affects their performances you know if uh, having Andrew Scott and Moriarty coming back constantly in season three really influenced them in the last uh, little bit about how about a lot of their portrayals and things because I, I think if I remember correctly they were talking about how they were a little bit scared when Moriarty got killed off because they pretty much lost a lot of their material but since he came back they were given all this extra material to play with and it was just incredibly interesting hearing uh, about BBC's Sherlock from the villain's point of view. And I wish I knew Toby and Zoe better. Um, they were two, they're two people I've admired for a little while now, since even before last to do on Beacon, I was a little starstruck by them. And they just seem like incredibly nice people, and they're, they're friends of my friends, and I'm just really shy to actually walk up and talk to them, and they just seem like they're incredibly nice people, and I, I hope if, I, I always wish them the best, and I will just watch them from afar and just be like, oh man, I wish we could be friends. I don't, I don't know if they would like me very much. I'm a, I'm a bit of a weird kid. Um, but yeah, if you get a chance to, uh, next to Shimon Beacon, see the Mora Mori cosplay panel, you should totally go. And it's, it's fun because I always like panels like that where they have cosplayers answering stuff in question. But then, right afterwards, the reason I got there early was pretty much the big panel I was waiting for. I, I was so excited more than any other panel to go to. The Cabin Pressure panel. Like I said, there's all these other fandoms um, going on at 221BCon, and a big one that actually has a huge influence, uh, apparently, in this convention, because it was, it was in one of the bigger rooms, and it was packed. Like, everyone wanted to go to the Cabin Pressure panel. And uh, I, 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 w I was waiting for this because it was recently announced that they recorded uh, their last episode, uh, Zurich. Zurich is the last episode, and they recently recorded it. And it's, uh, just so you know, if you're a fan of Cabin Pressure, Zurich's going to be a special episode. I think it's something like 45 minutes long. It's it's longer than a normal episode. And just so you know, like, why why have this Cabin Pressure panel? Well, you have it because Benedict Cumberbatch plays Martin Kreef, and he's in it. And uh, it's a very prominent in the fandom as a crossover to have Cabin Lock. And a lot of people will play that Martin is either, like, the half-brother of the Holmes brothers... In the original canon, there was another brother named, I think, Sharonford, and he just like, never showed up in the original canon, so a lot of people play that Martin is the lost brother, and or the half-brother, and like maybe like Mommy or Daddy Holmes had an affair with the Creeves, and, and Martin was the product of that. So it's, a, it's actually one of my personal favorite crossovers. I, I absolutely love, um, I love Cabin Lock. It's one of my favorite crossovers in the fandom. And so it was, it was super fun. Um, so that's why there was a cabin pressure panel. Uh, the panelist was Megan, and uh, if you remember Megan, when I did my cabin pressure special, she's also Icarusing. She was on, in my cabin pressure uh, special last year, I believe. They also had Taylor and Sarah. They're both Baker Street babes. And um, also, um, a girl joined a little bit later. Her name was Andrea. And um, what happened was John Finmore answered questions for us, and Andrea had tweeted him originally, and, she, and I have to say, Andrea, I know you were not an original panelist slated to be up on stage. And I know you, you seem like you were a bit nervous. 
Andrea, you were fabulous. You were absolutely fabulous. Please go on more panels. You were wonderful. I know, and you and, like you jumped right in there as if you were supposed to be there from the beginning, and you were wonderful. So thank you so much for for just rolling with the punches and being on the panel with these wonderful ladies. So to talk about a little bit about the Cabin Fresher panel, and I will let you know there are no spoilers in what I'm about to talk about, so don't worry, I'm not going to spoil anything from Zurich. Though I will say, I was surprised that no one wanted to talk about Zurich. You know, it, they recorded it, no one really had uh, wanted to talk about any spoilers, no, no one wanted to talk about casting news, because Megan even said uh, that she had read the casting report, but she didn't want to share it in case anybody didn't want to be spoiled, and she told me later about the casting report. So I know a couple of the characters that are going to be in Zurich, I'm not going to share. Because <laughs> I don't want to spoil anybody who doesn't want to know. But I, I think the main reason why no one wanted to talk about Zurich was because everyone was just sad that it's ending. You know, Cabin Pressure is is incredibly fun. I, I absolutely love this show, and I think everybody in the room was just really upset that it was going to be ending, and that was going to be that it was going to be over. What what we think around Christmas, we think Zurich's going to be a Christmas special. Um, that's what it's looking like because Moloquai, uh, their their Christmas special, Moloquai was I. Well, side Christmas because it's the Christmas special but that's what we're thinking that is probably going to come out but we there's no announcement yet but we talked about all sorts of um all sorts of things like we talked about how uh Taylor used to live in London actually no she still lives in London yeah and she was talking about the process of getting tickets for a BBC4 show apparently you can just go on their website and tickets for any of the radio shows are free. Now, with a bigger show like Cabin Pressure, it goes down to a lottery because they um, just because they get so overwhelmed. But most of the BBC show, four shows on the radio are free to go to. You just go on the website and you get them. And we also talked about characters we'd like to see back for Zurich. We talked about Teresa. We we uh, debated over um, Carolyn's ex husband. We debated over uh, seeing Kirk come back and stuff. So we, we talked about that. And then one lady actually worked for an airline, and she was talking about how the pilots in the airline she works for actually does play word games. So John Fittimore is right on the money with all their word games and how she laughs every time because it reminds her of her co-workers. And we also touched on a few ships. We talked about the Carolyn uh, Herc Douglas ship, and we talked about and we debated whether or not Douglas was actually in love with Carolyn, or is he approaching Herc and Carolyn from almost like a brother sort of view, because he knows Doug, uh, he knows Herc. They've been in and out of each other's lives, and they have a business relationship, and he knows about Herc's uh, last uh, wives, and he, whether or not he it's he's in love with Carolyn, or whether or not he um, is just looking out for Carolyn because he knows Herc's past. And we touched on Martin and Teresa a little bit, and we talked about how we really, whether or not that uh, Martin is going to be like the prince. Oh, what? What country are they from? Oh, what country is Teresa from? I completely forgot. Oh, no. <laughs> I completely forgot. I think it was Liechtenstein. I'm sorry, Captain Pressure people. I totally forgot. I haven't listened to that episode in forever. Anyway, we talked about whether or not uh, Martin would become a prince or if he would be a consort or if Teresa will make him, like, the head of the official Royal Air Force. <laughs> so that way he can still be a pilot. And we, and we talked about that in-game. But the best part of this is, John, as I said earlier, that John Finnemore uh, answered questions for us on Twitter. And we originally started like, hey, we'll just send you through for questions. And he was just like, no, send me as many questions as long as the panel is. And we all got incredibly excited. 
So uh, I promise you, like I said, there are no spoilers in any of the questions I'm about to uh, talk about. So the questions we sent were, um, where does Herc keep the sheep that Carolyn gave him? And if you remember from Cabin Pressure, Herc has this phobia as sheep, and Carolyn made a point to get him a stuffed sheep. And John Finnemore said that he keeps it in his flat. He wrote a scene for Zurich that ended up being cut, where Herc lost a bet, and they have to uh, have the sheep in the, the room with them whenever him and Carolyn eats dinner at his house, which I just die laughing hearing. And one question we wanted to hear, uh, we really wanted to know about, and it actually caused a lot of excitement in the middle of the panel because everyone just was like, oh, we want to know more about this. The question was, tell us about Douglas's daughter. And John Fiddlemore wrote back that Douglas actually has two daughters. Uh, one was, an, was officially talked about in the episodes and the other one was not. The one that was officially talked about is the younger one. And uh, they talked about her in Johannesburg. Um, and the older one has yet to be mentioned. But the older daughter's name is Verity. And John Fenmore said that he really wanted to write an episode where Verity showed up. It just never happened. We all about damn died in this panel. We were just, like, I know Megan was just like, I don't care if we talk about anything else. I just really want to know more about Douglas's daughters. And it was adorable because Megan's adorable. And, I mean, but we all did. We all got super excited. We were just like, oh, my God, we want to know about Verity. We want to know what her life is like. We want to know what her relationship with Douglas is. We want to know what, what she thinks of MJ and Air. And it's sad because we're probably never going to get Verity in the show. I really doubt she's in Zurich. It doesn't seem like they have enough room to throw in this entire Douglas's storyline. And it sucks because I think Douglas is the only character that we really don't know much about his family life. Because we have um, Carolyn and Arthur, our mom and, da our mom and son, and we've seen Carolyn's family, and we've seen um, her ex-husband and stuff. And then with Martin, we've seen his mom and his brother and his sister. And we, he's re referenced how his dad, you know, gave him a van and stuff before he died. Douglas is the only character that we have not seen his family. We, know he, we now know he has two daughters, and that's something I really wish that we got to one day. Anyway, uh, Jonathan Moore, we asked him uh, what was his favorite episode to write. He said, Do's. And we asked him what he was working on right now, and he said in July and August they're filming the fourth season of the John Finmore Souvenir Program, which is another radio show uh, that he writes for, and it's a variety show, and it's hilarious. I highly suggest you check it out. We originally asked if Douglas's daughters were from the same marriage, and we didn't get an answer back from that. We asked him what his favorite unscripted moment was during recording, he said um, in the episode where Justin Edwards is playing Martin Kreef's older brother, he said that Justin Edwards actually physically picked up Benedict Cumberbatch in the scenes where Martin's brothers was just like, and away we go, and was like lifting up Martin. He physically picked up Benedict Cumberbatch and was like hauling him around the stage. And also, apparently, Stephanie Cole, who plays Carolyn, swears like a sailor when she messes up. Just like, just swears. We asked him about Martin's height, and how, because they always joke around how short he is, um, and he said that he never wanted to have a set in stone, but he's probably about five, five, six, five, seven, which is my my height. I'm five five, and he, but he so he's always going to be short. And then the final question we asked about that is we asked if there we asked about merchandise and if there would be more cabin pressure merchandise. And he said that it's not out of the realm of possibilities uh, to have a book. He's been wanting to put out a book with all his notes and stuff like that. And he also would like to have more CDs released. 
Um, but none of this is certified, you know, none of this is official. This is just something that John Finnemore was saying that he would like to have. What I say to you as fans of Cabin Pressure, go to BBC and tell them that you want more Cabin Pressure merch. Cabin Pressure merch. Tell them that you want a book. Tell them you want CDs. Because if there's no interest, and I actually did a really long video about Once Upon a Time merchandise, um, and and what how ABC is becoming just silly goobers and not promoting their own merchandise, and that was something I talked about. If you want merchandise, you have to let them know that there's a fan interest. So if you do want to see a, a cabin pressured book, go to BBC4, tell them that you want it, and let them know. that. And that way we have a higher chance of getting it. So yeah, the Cabin Pressure panel was so much fun. And I, I it's going to be interesting next to 2 on Con because I have a feeling it's just going to be a big mope fest. <laughs> We're all going to be incredibly sad because by that time Zurich should be out. And cabin pressure will be completed. I'll be interested to see in future Choo Choo on Beacons whether or not we'll continue to have a cabin pressure panel. Um, I have a small feeling that next year might be the last cabin pressure panel. Um, it just depends on how well the fandom is still thriving by Choo Choo on Beacon 2016. Um, after that, I was really sad because I ended up missing a lot of panels that I really wanted to go to. But I needed to eat. I needed food. I was dying slowly. And I ended up having a terrible meal. Um, but it was fun because I found it was, uh, I got a meal that was incredibly expensive from the hotel. And I ended up finding a hair in my meal. And they were the nicest people in the world trying to fix it. They treated me like royalty after that. They gave me a free, like, they gave me a free drink. They gave me a tiny mini bottle of, uh, like, top shelf vodka. It was like one of those, like, little sample bottles that you can buy for, like, a dollar at liquor stores. And then the next morning, they gave me a free meal, and they were, like, treating me like royalty. So I'm okay that I found a hair in my food. Um, but, yeah, they they were amazing. And the, the hotel, I, I think, were, were not expecting um, how crazy we were and stuff. And they were, I think, if I remember correctly, we were their first convention. And so I don't think that they knew exactly what they were getting into. And there were a lot some issues with the hotel and some issues, like, with the spacing and and there was something that happened Saturday night that I don't really want to talk about. But I think for the most part, the hotel staff was amazing. They were incredibly accommodating. They were open and interested in what we were doing. And they were just nice all around. And thank you also, Marriott team, for being so nice to us. I ended up missing the From House to Psych panel. I really wanted to go to this one because I love seeing spinoffs of Sherlock Holmes. And it was the only psych panel all weekend. And I love Psych, and I was hoping to see what they wanted to talk about because Psych just ended. Um, the, the last episode just aired about um, a month and a half ago, give or take. And um, so I, I was so sad I, I missed this, and I swear to God I will go to it next year because I want to go to I've missed this panel two years in a row, and I've been wanting to see it. But after that, I uh, went to the Hollywood and Publishing panel with Mr. Daniel Corey. And he is a director, a screenwriter, a playwright, and a novelist. And he has authored screenplays, teleplays, stage plays, and two comic series and a novel. And he, first and before I go into the, the actual panel, Daniel was incredible. Uh, I was really nervous about meeting him. And he, overall, he was just so nice and so warm and so welcoming. And for a young freelance like me, like I'm still just trying to get my foot in the door. And he had just like openly, like, warmly accepted me, and he was like, I want to tell you about the business, let me know if you need any help, please stay in touch, you know, he was, even just now, like, the other night, like, when we friended each other on Facebook, he was just like, let me know if you have any questions about the business, I'm more than happy to help you out, 
And I love seeing someone in the media and someone who's out there who's who's coming along, and they're just so open to help young artists like me, and just so open to help them. And he was just, he was hilarious for one. He was just incredibly nice and so warm and welcoming. And um, I just, thank you so much, uh, Daniel, for just for just accepting me. And I, I was nervous because, you know, back in November I had an issue, um, a bit of a run, with, run in with David Anders, and it, 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 I don't want to really talk about it, but, you know, it made me nervous about meeting people who are professionals in the media and professionals in the business ever since then. And even just the other day, uh, yesterday I ran into Miss Addie Mays from Teen Wolf. Um, she's an actress on Teen Wolf, and I was just incredibly nervous about the entire situation because I just wasn't sure what was going to happen, and I, I'm just nervous now about meeting people in the media. And he was just warm and open and receptive to helping me out. He was generally interested in what I was doing in my work, and just amazing. So thank you so much, Daniel, for just just being amazing. <laughs> I don't know how else to sell it, say it. I'm a, I'm a better writer than I am a, a talker, which is funny because I have a podcast. But um, just to give you a little background, uh, he is the creator of the Moriarty Comics that is being run by Image Comics. And if you don't know who Image Comics are, uh, Image runs Walking Dead and Spawn and Saga. And so they picked up Mor the Moriarty Comics. And just to give you a little uh, bit of what Moriarty is about... Um, Moriarty is about Professor Moriarty. He's on the run. He has been framed for two murders, his identity exposed. Moriarty makes an uneasy alliance with the Jade Serpent, and together they must delve further into the world of the Black Hand and a mysterious device that holds the secret of the Dark Chambers. Pretty much he wanted to uh, write a comic about Moriarty post-Reichenbach. So Sherlock's been gone, you know. Now Moriarty is not really the, Moriart the Napoleon of crime anymore. Moriarty is kind of in this world where he's not the biggest baddie anymore. And through the series of the Moriarty comics, it's Moriarty rising back up to his power to being the best villain in this time. And it, it was sound, it's incredibly interesting. And so during the Hollywood and publishing panel, and I'm going to read straight from my notes, Daniel gave us an intro to Moriarty, and he also just gave us a lot of his background and his process into going into publishing and going to L.A., and he said um, he went to an entertainment school, but it was nothing really happened until he went to L.A., and he said that if you can't make this giant move, because you always want to go near a hub that has work, and you want to go near those people and the people who are trying to start up and stuff, he said if you can't move to L.A., then try to get started building your resume by writing for your local theater groups or write for your local paper or your local magazines. Just something to start building up your resume. And if you can, um, go to those bigger hubs like New York, L.A., Vancouver's a big one. I'm lucky I live in Atlanta. Try to get there. And he said, when you're moving to L.A., save money for at least a few months for when you move there. You know, you, don't, you might not have a job right away. You need to be able to live on your own for several months. And he recommended going with friends, if you, and that way you have people there that you can look out for. And if you go with friends, you know, a lot of people like to start up their own theater groups or their own writing groups or their own television groups. And going with friends is great because then you can all cash in on one place, you can all split the rent, and um, you, you want to scope it out going to L.A. before you visit for the first time. 
you want to go on a trip, a day trip, look at the area, look at the layout, find uh, some place to live before you ever move. Uh, or the other thing is you can transfer out with a job. So, like, for example, I work at Hot Topic. Uh, Hot Topic is based in California, so I could transfer out there for a retail job, and that at least that way I would have a job as I'm trying to get my foot in the door and, and start my career. He said uh, when he moved out there, he registered with Central Casting right away. And having good relationships is the key to success. You know, you get more you get more flies with honey than vinegar. You, you there's no reason to be a jerk ever to anybody. And it's people's gonna respond to you better if you're always nice and if you're kind and making good relationships, as in making friends with people opposed to like I'm making this uh, friends with this person because of their business or because of their status. You know, you want to make a friend with an actor because they're a person, not because they're an actor. And he said, and when you're writing a comic, it needs to be a good comic or novel before it's a good movie. So he was saying how he was writing, I believe, I think it was talking about Profit. Profit was a comic he wrote before Moriarty, and it was his first real success. Um, he was saying with Profit, as he was writing it, he knew and could kind of see where it could be a movie, but he wanted to focus about on how it was a good comic first. He needed the good story, the good characters, and that should be the key because he said a lot of writers, when they write, they try to write it as to be a movie. So when you write comics or when you write a short story or if you write a book, they try to write it so it will be a movie, it could be made a movie, and most of the times they fail. They said, he said that if it is a good enough story and a good enough comic, it will be a good movie regardless of whether or not you originally intended it to be made that way. He also talked about how Danger Cat is his website. I'll put a link to Danger Cat, uh, his Danger Cat Twitter down here, and I'll also put a link to the Moriarty comics too. He said if you can, when you actually go to make this jump to start branching out, everyone wants to know if you're published, even if it's self-published, so, uh, self-publishing. Um, if you're published, you have a better chance of like really getting some recognition because then you know you're already published, you're already making, um, you already have stuff on your resume. And they were, uh, he was saying that everyone wants to know whether or not you're published. So he is a big fan of self-publishing when you're first starting out, just getting your work out there, and just uh, that way to have something under your belt. He also talked about uh, pitching when you pitch a story or a play or a movie, and he said that when you're pitching. You need to be able to describe your story quickly into one to two sentences. Oh, I wish I could remember it. He, but he had this great pitch for profit. It was literally a sentence. And, but it told you everything you needed to know about it. He said that when you're pitching, you need to have a high concept with adjectives. When you're pitching a comic, you need to have a concept one sheet. And it's, it's a picture that represents what the comic is like, almost like a movie poster. And it's one image that completely described your comic. And he had this great picture from Prophet. And it had Prophet, who's the main character, and a lot of the other minor characters around it. And it, it just captured what Prophet was. It, you could tell it had kind of a futuristic Western feel. And it had a couple of the assassin characters. And, like, the bad guy was, like, looming in the background. And it was a gorgeous, it almost looked like a splash page in comics. And it was just gorgeous taking a look at it. And it, it, it told you everything you needed to know. Though he did say, while you must create a good comic or story or novel first, always consider in the back of your mind that to write something that's good for transmedia. Meaning that while it's, it needs to be a good comic or story on its own, have in the back of your mind, like, okay, you know, how would this look on TV? How would this look in a movie? How would this look in a video game? Video games are a big one. 
even though you want to focus on the story first, you do need to keep that in the back of your mind about how it would look in other forms of media. Ha! But I was smart enough to write down the pitch for Moriarty. So the pitch for his Moriarty comic was Moriarty After Holmes. That's all you need to know about the comic, is it's Moriarty After Holmes, which is a great pitch. And so, as he was starting to get Moriarty and Profit out there, he started going to cons for two years before anyone even wanted to contact him. And, he, and so that he was talking about how the process, you just have to stay resilient. You know, you have to keep, you have to be vigilant. You have to keep pushing forward. And you have to constantly keep working. You just can't give up. Because it took him two years, but even then he was writing for several years before this. And he was working several jobs and just trying to get his foot in the door. And he said that if the moment you give up, give up and settle is the moment that you completely give up altogether. And he also started finding different groups online. He talked about the Comic Book Sunday. It's an online group, and uh, you can go out and meet contacts through online groups and your local groups, and that's how you make contact. You have to be willing to go out and be out of your way. It's not going to fall in your lap. You have to work for it. And he also uh, talked about how uh, you can do work first before you ever get a manager or agent. Something I was asking him about, I was like, okay, well, um, I, I wasn't sure about how the process of going about getting a manager was. And he was saying, you know, um, if you already have some work on your under your belt, it's going to be easier to get a manager or an agent because you already have a resume. Um, it's told, And I also asked him about going back to school. And, you know, because I've been debating for a while now, now whether or not to get my master's degree in English and screenwriting. And he looked right at me and was like, you don't need to go into debt more. You know, you can teach yourself the formatting of screenwriting. And he asked, he was like, Hope, why do you, why do you want to go back to school anyway? And I was like, well... I, I wanted to learn formatting, but you just said that I couldn't teach myself that. But really, I just want to go make contacts. And he kind of, like, looked at himself and he looked at me and he was like, you're making a contact right now. Like, you don't have to go to school to physically make contacts. You know, uh, that's why you travel to conventions. That's why you go out of your way to talk to these people. That's why you, you do that. You can make contacts on your own, and you can teach yourself uh, the format of writing screenplays or comic book scripts or any of that without having to go to school. So pretty much Daniel made my decision to not go back to grad school, and I'm actually really thankful for that because I'm still paying off my undergrad. Yay. He also talked about how to uh, pitch a comic at a convention and how when you go to a convention, um, if you see a comic book group there, ask to see if there's any editors there. Ask to see if there's any writers there. And um, you, you want to talk to the editors and when you go to cons, and you want to have everything ready for you. You want to have your pitch ready. You want to have your splash, uh, your concept art page, that, that one page that describes your comic. And that way you have that, and you want to have your, like, your resume and everything. And that way, if there is an editor at this convention, you can pitch your comic, you have your information, you have your resume and your business card, you have your concept art, and you can just give it to them right then. And he also talked about social media a little bit. He talked about um, how it's really prominent to get your name out there. It's good to have contacts paired with social media because if you say, like, I don't know, uh, who's someone I follow on social media, say I'm friends with Matt Fraction. I, I'm not friends with Matt Fraction. I really wish I was friends with Matt Fraction. <laughs> but I follow him on Twitter. So in this hypothetical world, I put out my first piece of writing. Matt Fraction can look at it and be like, oh, man, this is great, and push it out on his Twitter account. Well, Matt, Matt Fraction, of course, is known for writing the Hawkeye comics right now, and he's really popular and definitely in the mainstream media a little bit more because of the success of Hawkeye. And so that's an example of having good contacts paired with social media, because if I put something on Twitter and I'm friends with him, he could potentially reblog it and promote it himself. He also, uh, someone asked a question about having the rights, um what happens to your rights when you sell your comic or something to 
a film or television. And he talked about um, it depends on the contract. He said make sure you read your contracts carefully because uh, you might not agree with something later on that you missed in the contract. Um, like say if they're taking your concept in a completely different way, if you miss that part in your contract, you have no right, you have no way to stop it. You cannot stop them from doing that. So he talked about uh, when it comes to, he, he was talking about um, what's called to option out a, a, a story. When you option out a story, you, your agent's pretty much going out there and just pushing around the rights for a few months and just, and just to see if anybody was interested. And pretty much he ended just with uh, taking questions. And, you know, that, sorry, that was a little bit of a roundabout way, but I was reading straight from my notes. I took a bajillion notes <laughs> in his panel. Um, but, cute, you know, Daniel was great, and I'm looking forward to talking to him more. And he was just really warm and open, and I just really appreciate him taking the time to come and talk about Moriarty and talk about profit and to talk about his entire process. And overall, he was just a great guy to talk to, and you should totally check out should totally check out Moriarty and check out Profit because I'm a, I'm trying to find it and get my hands on it. But Moriarty is running for um, for Image right now and it's on their website. And remember, it's Moriarty after Holmes, so go check it out. Next after that, I <laughs> I have a story to tell you. After I left Daniel's panel, I had about a two hour two hour time where because I spent some time talking with Daniel afterwards um, after his panel. Um, I had a little bit of time to where I had to find food because I knew I was about to be double booked for panels. I had the How to Podcast panel, and then right after it, I had to welcome the night belt. So I had, like, this two-hour gap where I was like, okay, I need to go find food. I need to go eat. And this is the story about how I became Pad Thai Girl. So I uh, left the convention. There was, like, a little bit of – there was, like, a little um, shopping center, like, not even a mile down the road that had, like, a Chinese place or uh, Chinese and Asian food and all sorts of food. And I went and I got some Thai food. And I got some Pad Thai. And if you know me, I absolutely am a glutton for Pad Thai. It's, one, it's like my favorite thing to eat. And when I, I, I got it to go and I brought it back to the convention. And so the only real place in the hotel to sit was in the restaurant area. And in the restaurant area, uh, some of my friends were sitting there. And so I came over and I sat down with them. Because like I said, there's really no other lobby in this place. And I opened my Pad Thai. And I took about two bites. And then the manager comes up to me and she was like, I'm sorry, you can't have outside food in the restaurant area. And by this time, like I said on Saturday, I, I'm, it just was incredibly exhausted today. On, on Saturday, for some reason, I was incredibly tired. And I just kind of looked at her and I was like, I'm about to not be able to eat for like two hours. Like, I only really have like about 30 minutes to eat. And she was like, I'm so sorry, you just can't have food here. And so I packed up my food. And I went out into the lobby, and I, I, uh, there wasn't any, and when I say lobby, it's not really lobby, there's like three benches. So was, there was really no place to eat in the lobby, and so I went to the corner, and I just sat down on the floor, and I start opening my food again, and I take about two bites, and the guys come over, and I'm sitting in the corner, and the hotel guys were just like, I'm sorry, you can't sit on the floor here because uh, it could be a fire hazard to people. And I'm like, away from any other person, and I just kind of stare at them. I'm just like, okay. So I pack up all my food back in, up again. But this time I'm starving because I want to eat my food. And I'm like walking around trying to find a place to eat. And it was a little bit rainy, so I didn't want to eat outside. And I finally, it time rolled around, and I had to go to my first panel. <laughs> so I was, a, I was a panelist on the How to Podcast panel. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. So for an hour, I'm, I'm talking about podcasting. And I'm sitting there, and my food's right beside me getting cold. 
And then I go straight to the Nightville panel. Like, I have to book it. And they're on opposite ends of the hotel. And they're right after each other. So I'm carrying my food. And I go to the Nightville panel. I sit down on the Nightville panel. I'm just starving by this time. Because I've been carrying around this pad thai for about an hour and a half, two hours. Actually, no. It was longer than that. I've been carrying around this pad thai for like two and a half hours. Not being able to eat it. So I'm starving. And apparently, I'm so out of it. Because the thing about me is when I'm really hungry... I get a little bit, um, I just, I get a little grumpy, but the the worst part of it, if I'm not grumpy, I'm just incredibly tired. I'm, I, I get like, I, I don't know if I just have a little blood sugar or what, but if I don't eat and I'm really hungry, I'm just incredibly exhausted. It just kills my energy level. And apparently, according to my friends, I mentioned, like, wanting to eat my pad thai, like, ten times in the Nightville panel. I, like, don't remember this, but finally there was a point where my buddy Amber, just who is on the panel with me, just looks at me and goes, Just eat your damn food! <laughs> so I was just like, but I don't want to eat my food in front of, like, this host of people in the audience. Like, what if one of them are hungry and I'm sitting here eating my food? And they're like, it's pretty much was, like, the pad thai version of a Snickers commercial. Pretty much Jackie and Amber, like, hope. You're not doing your good, you're not doing your job, you're not yourself when you're hungry. <laughs> Here, eat some pad thai. And so I was able to eat half my food and just enough to give me some energy to finish the Night Vale panel. And afterwards, I, I packed up all my food again and I went to my buddy Francine who was hanging out with me and I was like, you and me? Because my, my buddy Francine, I don't get to see her very often and I hadn't seen her since like last Dragon Con. And she's one of my really good friends. I was like, we're going to my, my room and I'm going to sit and I'm going to eat my damn food. And so finally, three hours later, I was finally able to eat my dinner. And I was finally able to eat my Pad Thai. And that's how I became Pad Thai Girl. Anyway, to go back, I was on the How to Podcast panel. I'm not going to talk about this too much because I um, I actually, my last episode of my podcast was about the How to Podcast panel. And it was our, our live show, it was a show that we had. And the wonderful ladies over at Three Patch Podcast got me the audio. So thank you again, guys. I really appreciate it. So make sure you check out that episode. But I was on it with Ryan, a.k.a. Gareth from Leveling Azeroth, Emma from Three Patch Podcast, and Amy from the Baker Street Babes. And we pretty much just talked about podcasting from the ground up. And we, we took questions, and people had questions like about merchandising and where to, host your, where to host your website, our different kinds of shows, which was actually, that was my favorite part, is all, all four of us came from different kinds of shows. Uh, Ryan, um, it's him and his partner, who they've been talking about World of Warcraft. Leveling Azeroth is a World of Warcraft podcast. Emma, being a part of Three Patch, theirs is more like the variety show. So they have a rotating cast, but they pretty much are talking about little, like, three to five minute snips. So an episode of Three Patch is, like, different, like, little variety sort of thing. So they'll talk about one topic, and they'll talk about another, and talk about another. And then Big Street Babes, they'll have one general topic, so, like, this week might be, I don't know, like, um, Magnuson. They might talk about just Magnuson this week. And they also, because they have, uh, like, I think five or six or seven of them, and they all live in different areas, they also rotate out their cast depending on the topic. So they have, like, for example, Amy was talking about they have one person who really likes elementary. So they'll, that person will run the elementary episodes. Um, some of them have read the canon their entire life. Some people haven't read that didn't read the canon until BBC Sherlock came out. So they also approach all these topics from uh, different levels of their love of Sherlock Holmes. 
So it's interesting. And then me, of course, I run my own podcast. I'm a, but the difference is I'm part of a podcasting group. So being in Two True Freaks, we have like 20 regular shows. And so I was coming from the point of view of like, while I have my own show and I have my own format, I'm also in a group. So then I can do stuff like Who True Freaks, which if, you, if you're not familiar with our Two True Freaks group and you're just hearing this like on Tumblr or something, uh, Who True Freaks is our Doctor Who show. And I'm constantly regular on that. And like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, I was in our general uh, Two True Freaks five-minute freak review of Winter Soldier. So it's fun being in a group because uh, you can kind of touch base on different topics and like kind of be guests on each, each other's shows. Like when Chris Tyler did the Sherlock episode with me, he actually is a podcaster for one of the other shows in the group. But he came on my show. So it's fun, and I was approaching it like that. So make sure you check out my previous episode before this one. It was the How to Podcast panel. And just check it out. It's really fun. And so after that, we went to, uh, I booked it and like ran across the hotel to the Welcome to Night Vale panel. I was on the panel with Jackie. Jackie was in my second Sherlock Holmes episode, oh God, like like two years, like a year and a half ago, when I was doing my Road to 221 Con for 2013. She was in my second Sherlock episode, and Jackie's amazing. She's a comic book artist herself. Um, she was one of the dealers. And she was just, I love Jackie. She's hilarious. She's one of my favorite people. And also, I was on the um, podcast with Amber, and I, I, I've enjoyed getting to know Amber. I didn't really know her before. And so uh, after the panel, and, and since Tuchu Won't Be Kind, we've been talking more, and she's, she's been one of my new favorite people to talk about and just to uh, get to know a little bit more. So I, I was really excited to be on the panel with her. And like I said earlier, she was in charge of the craft circle and the ra- Ravelry group. And I, I was surprised. The Welcome to Nightville panel was huge. We were in one of the bigger rooms. We had it probably about two-thirds of the way full. And it was great for one to see the Nightville presence in this podcast uh, in, at, at 221 Beacon. And if you're not familiar with what Welcome to Nightville is, it has nothing to do with Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> which is something great about 221 Beacon. Like I said, you have all these other fandoms. But Nightville is a radio show. It's, it's written by uh, Jeffrey Craner and Joseph Fink. It's uh, the top-rated podcast, or the, the top most downloaded podcast currently. It passed uh, All American Life. And it's pretty much um, every conspiracy theory ever takes place in this small, like, Midwestern town. And it's hosted by Cecil Baldwin. He's the main character. He's actually, actually, Cecil Palmer is his name, but the actor is named Cecil Baldwin. And Cecil is the radio show host, and he just talks about the daily life in this weird little town where it's perfectly normal to have a five-headed dragon run for mayor after, you know, running away from the police for tax fraud. So Nightville is just a really great podcast. And um, the main thing is that we talked about theories. We talked uh, in Nightville, there's um, a company called Strux Corp invading the town, and they are a corporate business. And so in this weird little town where, you know, you have, like, floating poisonous cats, and you have five-headed dragons, and you have the faceless old woman who lives in everyone's home, you know, having this normal corporate business slowly invading this town, it was, um, it's been happening slowly within, over the last year of this podcast. And so we were talking about our theories, and we talked about, um, what we thought about what's going on with Kevin, who's another character, Cecil and Carlos's relationship, stuff like that. But, uh, probably my favorite part is we talked about, we opened with why Nightville is popular right now. And we came to the conclusion that we, as the audience, are Nightvale. We talked about how, for example, the character of Hiram McDaniels, who's the five-headed dragon, was saying how he went from town to town and he could never find a place he would, could settle down because no one, because everyone cared that he actually ate people in the town. Um, but he said when he came to Nightvale, 
it was the first place he felt accepted because everyone in Night Vale is different. Everybody is a little bit off kilter. And we talked about in the panel how everyone in Night Vale is Night Vale. The audience is Night Vale. We're all coming from these different walks of life to this Night Vale fandom. And that's why we love Welcome to Night Vale, because you can literally be anybody. It doesn't matter about your, your race, your color, your sex, your gender. Everybody in this fandom is Night Vale. And that's why Shrek Corp is so scary, because it's trying to normalize this town. So it was that was my favorite part, was we opened with, like, what is Night Vale? And we came to the conclusion that everybody, even in the room, everybody in the audience, as a group, we are Night Vale. And we also talked a little bit about the live show format. We didn't have any spoilers from the live show. And the reason we talked about the live show format, because about three weeks before 221BCon, the live tour of Welcome Night Vale was touring and they came to Atlanta, so a bunch of us had seen it, actually. Um, and we also talked about how the characters had changed over time. We talked about how Cecil has evolved and how he is not the person he was. We talked about having the introduction of his family and how that's affected his character. We talked about Carlos. Carlos is Cecil's boyfriend, and we talked about how he's changed and how he's really just kind of... He came in and he was kind of normal, and he was just a normal scientist, and how he's fallen into... Pretty much fell in love with the town and fell in love with Cecil, and he's became uh, a resident of Night Vale. And we actually talked about Night Vale as a town, as a whole, and how it's kind of its a character of its own. And we ended up going an extra hour. Like, we were finishing up the hour, and we had just... we. We had been talking theories, and we didn't even touch on Cecil and, and Carlos's relationship, and we realized we had so much more to do. So I went over to Taylor, who's one of the directors, and I was like, hey, Taylor, you know, um, is there anything after us in this room? And there wasn't, she, and we asked if we could go an extra hour, so we ended up having a two-hour-long night bell panel. And it was absolutely fantastic, and everybody participated. It was so much fun. And my original plan was I recorded Night Vale uh, on my little task cam, but my Tascam, God help it, um, I set my levels wrong all weekend. And as you've probably heard by now in my interviews with other people, my levels are really off and it kind of sounds like it's stuck in a fairyland. And so I did record the Nightville panel. I'm taking a look at it and I'm going to try and salvage as much of it as I can. But I might not get a podcast episode up of the Nightville panel. And I'm really sorry if I don't. I really, I'm going to try my hardest to save it if I absolutely can. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. So cross your fingers, but thank you everyone who came out to the Welcome to Night Vale panel, and thank you everyone who came out to the How to Podcast panel too. These were my two panels. I was I was nervous about being on both of them, but I also I love being on panels. It's one of my favorite things because in my normal daily life I don't get to talk about fandom stuff much. So I love being on panels and going to panels and having that one on one experience where I can talk about these subjects that I love so much with people who love it just as much as I do. And already I've seen um, a lot of people on Tumblr write little messages saying, oh my god, this Night Vale panel is fucking with my head. But I also saw a lot, and like they, they, they meant that in a good way. But I also saw a lot of people talking about how um, the Night Vale panel was their favorite panel, and they were saying how the discussion was was controlled and well done, and how everyone's theories were were backed up and justified, but even, like, the crap theories out there was just as good as, like, the really serious ones, and thank you for those of you on Tumblr who did write those very nice messages about the Night Vale panel. I know me and and Jackie and Amber were ecstatic to see those and to hear that you guys enjoyed it so much, 
and thank you for, for taking the time to listen to me and Jackie and Amber, and also taking the time to listen to me and Emma and and Ryan and Amy on the How to Podcast panel, and it really means a lot to me, so yes, I will try to salvage my Nightville audio. And pretty much after that, uh, it was Saturday night, <laughs> there was the big party night at the con, and the rest of the night was just tons of drinking. <laughs> we We had a blast. And we also had a, um, and I, I did a lot of things. And you know it's a Sherlock Holmes convention. When you have jello shots and syringes, people got those, like, those big plastic syringes. And they fill, filled them with jello shots. And it was the most fascinating thing. Like, I never thought about that. But I, I knew, if you look at my Instagram, I don't really promote my Instagram very often on my on my uh, podcast, but it's hope underscore Molinax, M-U-L-L-I-N-A-X. Um, I definitely put up a few pictures of the Jello Shot syringes, so make sure you check those out. Um, but also, I played for the first time ever Cards Against Humanity. I'm a big fan of the card game Apples to Apples. If you're not familiar with this, uh, Apples to Apples... You have a green card, and it's an adjective, so it could be something like smarmy or happy or or, or uh, deadly. And then you have a bunch of red cards, and they're nouns, so it could be something like, I don't know, like water bottles, World War II, uh, Captain America. I just happen to look up and see Captain America. Or like, you know, um, a bottle of wine. And so you have these adjectives and the nouns, and someone puts down an adjective, and everybody else puts down a noun, and that person has to pick the noun that's most like the adjective, and it's really fun. But then, uh, Cards Against Humanity is like the adult version of Apples to Apples. And so you have a situation, so it's like, you know, um, they're coming out with a new Harry Potter movie. It's Harry, it's, uh, Harry Potter in the Chamber of Blank. And, um, so, and then everybody has these cards these other cards, and it could be something like amputees, penis, I'm saying penis because it's actually, like, a more vulgar thing. Oh, well, whatever, I've already sworn in this podcast. So you could have, like, amputees or a cock or have something like marshmallows or a 20-year-old African-American in a hoodie. And so it's pretty much Cards Against Humanity, the way my friend described it. It's the adult version of Apples to Apples. And to top it all off, it's just a game to see what terrible people everybody is at the table. Which I just had to laugh at. <laughs> so I, I played it for the first time. It was incredibly fun. But as I was um, enjoying this, I wanted to pull aside to my friends. And so I pulled aside uh, Chris Weiser. He's a buddy of mine. He's been a buddy of mine for a while. And then someone who I met at the convention, her name is Grace. And they were two dealers. And I, I made friends with Grace over the course of the weekend. And so I pulled Grace and Schweizer to the side, and I interviewed them about uh, what it's like to be a dealer, you know, because you go into the dealer's room, you have all these dealers, and you don't really realize that they never get to go to the rest of the convention, just like everybody else. They're there all day, and I was curious about the process from beginning to end, what that was like. And so they talked about uh, the process about being a dealer, and also the process of being an artist, because I found it interesting, Grace was just starting off uh, just starting off going to con, she's just now about to graduate college, she's about to get her foot in the door, while on the opposite side, opposite side Schweizer has been a comic book artist for a while now, you know, he has several published works out, he's been teaching, he's been a teacher, and he's, um, he's been an artist for several years now, so it's interesting to see a starting artist versus someone who's been in the business for a while. So this is their interview, and it's, it's a long interview, but it's, it's really 
amazing and totally worth it. So yes, here's Chris and Grace. This is my buddy Chris. He's a great artist. I love his work. If you ever get a chance to see Chris Weiser's work, he's a fantastic artist. He's a really unique style. You'll never see anything like it ever again. Well, thank you. You're welcome. How did how did you get involved in comics? I'm so happy that you're inebriated. Right oh now. no, it's no trouble. Um, with, <laughs> well, a big part of it was just sort of growing up in a household where there were a lot of comic strips, especially. Um, uh, I didn't have much access to comic books before middle school, but growing up, my uh, my dad had lots of collections of uh, Pogo and Calvin and Hobbes and Peanuts. And so as a youngster, I, I read those and gravitated towards them. Uh, and having sort of a propensity for drawing as a, at a young age, I really liked the idea of becoming a cartoonist and doing a comic strip. Um, and by the time I got to an age where that was a possibility, given my skill set and adult status, uh, newspapers were sort of dying. and. Uh, in their place, at least so far as the medium is concerned, uh, you started to see the, the rise of graphic novels as, as sort of a, a non-genre specific art form. Um, when I was younger, you'd, uh, you'd have a graphic novel section in a bookstore, but it would be things like uh, Star Wars comics and uh, Dungeons and Dragons books, and that was sort of the extent of it, Spider-Man. Um, not to say there weren't some, you know, great Batman stuff together, but that was about the extent of it. When when I became a full-blown adult, which was when I was 25, um, and sort of decided, I, you know, my aimless uh, scattering of attempts to, to uh, give sort of specific direction to what talents I was lucky to to have. Um, started to solidify, and I realized I wanted to get into comics. Uh, the graphic novel section of bookstores had, had developed significantly, and uh, you started to see things like Slice of Life comics, uh, like Blankets and things in that vein, uh, Black Sad for, for Crime Noir, and I just got really excited about the possibility of doing uh, especially historical fiction genre comics, which up until that point had not seemed like a market reality. Um, so I decided to pursue it whole hog. I, I looked into grad school because I knew I always wanted to teach. Uh, since I was a kid, my dad was a college professor, and, you and I wanted to. you SCAD now, right? I do not. I taught at SCAD for five years, but I oh. the, uh, the end of uh, the end of last school year was my last year, and I oh, moved I'm on sorry. to. No, no, it's no okay. trouble. Uh, so I started. Uh, I, I just started doing comics full time after that, just because. Uh, there, there were a few changes. Uh, class size was slightly increased, and my my uh, expectations in the comics market slightly increased. And th those two things combined made it impossible for me to juggle the two careers the way I had been doing for when I first started. And now, uh, Grace just walked up. Grace is another dealer. And I just want to hear, uh, introduce yourself. Oh, hi. I'm Grace. Uh, my Tumblr URL handle name is Kriska. What is your uh, mine is Schweitzer Comics, uh, which was intended specifically to beguile you with its spelling. It's a S C H W E I Z E R Comics with a C S at the end. I was actually very excited because I heard that uh, you taught at SCAD. I'm currently a Sequascati right oh, now. Oh, fantastic! In yes. Savannah or yes, in Atlanta? In Savannah. Okay. Now, uh, I want to ask you guys, because not a lot of people know this from your guys' side, what's it like from beginning in to be a dealer? Like, what is that process like for you guys? Um, for me, and I've been doing this a, a few years, so it makes it a little bit easier to know what's going in. Um, a big part of it is, one, knowing that you will not be set up by the time the convention starts, because 
uh, everything will sort of mildly conspire against you, including yourself. Um, and so learning to roll with that is, is kind of important. I also go into every show, uh, I, although there, there are certainly shows where I, I do make a, a decent amount of money and I'm very grateful for that, um, I never go into a show looking at it as a moneymaker because if you do that, then you're going to be behaving differently the whole time you're there. You're worried about selling stuff. You're going to, and you're going to come off that way. It's the same person as, it's the same way as like a desperate person at a singles bar. It's going to just be immediately off-putting to everybody else there. So I go, so I only do shows that I am excited about doing because either the people there, the location or whatever it might be, and if I sell anything, then it's a bonus. Um, and so I look at it that way. And that, that makes it always a joyful experience. And I think that that, in turn, makes it a joyful experience for the convention goers, which in turn leads to increased sales. So it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy of if anything good happens, then that's great. And then good things happen as a result. What about you, Chris? See, that's really interesting because uh, you've uh, been doing this for a while now, haven't you? Just selling conventions. I'm a complete noob when it comes to this. Um, I wanted to start selling, like, you know, going into Artist Alley and stuff like that my senior year of high school. But I never really actually got a legit table until AX last year. So I've only really been doing this for a year. And I've really only gone to... Um, a couple of conventions now, but every single one, like I know you said the whole thing about don't go into it, like thinking, you know, I need to make money, yeah. but... Which, uh, now, now I, I'm also in a position where I, I have, you know, I, I do comics professionally and I have income coming in from that yeah. and so it gives me a position where I yeah, I can't do that when when you're when you're starting out it's much more difficult to yeah. have that mindset because you're terrified about making the table back and your travel expenses yeah, back you mentioned I thought to me that everything that you were getting was going towards your uh, groceries <laughs> I'm a poor college student so at this point it's every table I've like you know table that every kind of table that I've always made profit because but the thing is I plan very carefully about like I look at the con and then I look at like my target audience you know like what do you think like what will sell the most you know what prints should I bring the most like which one should I work on so every I haven't tabled too much but every one I've tabled that I have definitely like broken even at the very least so for me like when I go there it is stressful because of the constant like you know you need to make profit you know you need to go over that break even line but um like i i have so many good friends just like around me so it's just kind of a fun experience and we met too yes so here we come in good stuff good we're stuff. like air hugging air hugging they just don't want to be like bam yeah. quarter. and it is and 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 like i said i mean like situationally it's easy to say to be really zen about it but that's but that's because now now there was a situation like very recently to, to go into it. I had a, a book deal lined up that because of this particular book deal, I haven't taken on any other freelance work or any animation design work for a few months because I, my calendar was left open specifically to deal with it. But there were contractual things with it that because of going back and forth, it took about six months for the contract to be finalized. So I had six months where I wasn't really doing anything for money. Um, and so, luckily, the the contracts and everything finalized about two weeks ago. But up until that point, I was thinking, well, thank you, but I was thinking that this was the first show where I was going to have to worry about making money. And if that had been the case, I, I, I did well today, 
but not well enough to keep my family afloat if we didn't have this other contract. And so it would have been a very different experience and a very stressful one. And so, like I said, it's, it's, it's building up enough other things for myself because I feel like there are people who make a living go to, going to show to show, selling prints, whatever it might be, but I feel like that's a very stressful living. Oh, um, and I like that there's like a contrast here because I know you're a college student, but you also have like a wife and a daughter who's awesome. Yeah. But Thank you very much. I always see pictures of her on the book and she's like, she's so cute. Um, but I, I do like this dichotomy of having both of you guys here because it is two very different mindsets, yeah. but you're both here as dealers having a good time and like... But, loving yeah. your craft. But even even when I was first starting out, I always looked at shows, and, and 221B is sort of an exception because I, I had a very clear idea as to what I wanted to, to do professionally. And so more fan-centric shows were not usually in my docket at that point. Like, that's a luxury that I allow myself now because I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes buff, and so going to the show is a real treat, and I would be coming here regardless of whether I was tabling. So getting to table and getting to counter the expenses of coming down here is, a, is an added bonus. Um, but generally speaking, I was very selective about the conventions that I went to, and it was always designed not as a, am I going to make money from it, but which editors are going to be there, which other artists are going to be there, like how can I use this convention to better my understanding of the industry, my familiarity with these other artists, and my potential opportunities down the road. Not necessarily even that I want to work with these editors, but I want to get to know them, know how their businesses work, so that I have a better sense as to how to run my own business life. See, that's what I need to do in the future because I'm currently, all of the cons I've been going to are very much, um, they're like anime cons or very Tumblr-centric cons, and a lot of my prints that I sell under my handle name are basically just fan stuff. So um, that's exclusively just to make a profit. But I know that, like, since I'm a senior now, and I need to, like, start really going to, like... Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so I need to, like, start going to, like, actual, like, you know, other comic cons where editors and, like, other professionals are there so I can start making the connections and, you know, yeah. do all that stuff. And I won't be probably tabling at those, like, the first couple of years. I'll, yeah. I'll be going, like, the portfolios are just hanging out to make and, connections. And that's okay. And, and honestly, oh, we'll get into that. We'll talk after. Yeah. This is yeah. not good for the interview. Yeah. I have my very last question, though, because you guys have very long hours, and there's not. I, I I help out at my friends' tables a lot of times too. What's the hardest part about being a dealer, though? For me, it's not being ready on time. I am never. And granted, I have a. This show is less so than usual, but I still always have a fairly elaborate table set up. I have like paper figure dioramas up there and prints everywhere and stuff like that. And I'm never ready on time, and that always makes the first couple hours putting me behind and stressful. And there's a line, and I'm wanting to both cater to the customers and also do the tables. So for me, initial setup is the tricky part. I have never been on time with my setup for a convention. In doing them for seven, eight years, not once. Um, so <laughs> that sucks. What about you guys? Um, well... You've been at it for longer than me, so you probably have, like, a bigger, like, you know, repertoire merchandise to sell, whereas I'm just a college student, you know, just starting up. So setup isn't too difficult for me. Um, I have just my really good setup, and I'm just, whatever, I'm selling fan prints. Um, I think the hardest part for me is probably um, the long hours, because at the end of every, like, day, after I've, like, tabled for the entire day, I'm exhausted. 
Like, I am You're good about that? I, I'm actually, most of the cons that go to our anime cons, and a lot of their um, panels and stuff like that, I'm not quite interested in it. So I'm just like, I'm here for the artists more and for like selling things, plus like I get to meet all these cool artist friends. So I'm completely okay with like being in the artist alley for the whole day. It's just afterwards, I crash. I crash. Oh, and plus, homework. <laughs> I'm still in college. I still have homework to do. And Because you guys today was like, what, 10 to 7? Yeah. That's a really yeah. long day. The, the thing is, a long day like this, for me, actually, one of the other things is as much as I like doing panels, and I tend to do a lot of panels, whatever convention I go to, because if I'm asked to be on a panel, I usually say yes, because I enjoy it. But um, it gets you out of that room. No, that's the bad side of it. Uh, oh, yeah, I actually, because I like being at the table, and there's nothing I hate more than having to tell somebody, I can't do your drawing right now. I've got to go to this show. I, I feel like conventions are very much for the attendees. And a lot of times, sometimes it's they're not couched that way, and there seems to be a hierarchy of corporations followed by talent, and then attendees are sort of at the bottom of the barrel, and they have to get what they can get. And that's one thing I really love about 221BCon is it very much puts the attendees first, but in general, that's my mindset with conventions. And ever having to do something to the disadvantage of a person who, whether they are fans of your stuff or just becoming familiar with your stuff, really rubs me the wrong way. And so leaving for panels, actually, I hate while I love being on the panels, I never like leaving my table. And when I am tabling, when I'm not doing conventions, it's a rarity that I leave my table. I tend to stay there the whole time because I feel like people have paid money to come to this convention and talk to people with whom they have an interest. And if I'm lucky enough to be one of those people that somebody is interested in talking to or picking up art from, then it is very unfair of me to expect them to adhere to my schedule. I love you, Chris. Thanks, so. You're welcome. Well, totally agree with you. Uh, well, thank you both so much for your time. I know that you got it's like Saturday night and we all went to party, so I really thank you both yeah, for your time. No problem. Right? I'm, and thank you. I'm good. Thank yeah. you. So after that, we pretty much just drank all night long. <laughs> like, I can't even begin to tell you how much we drank and played Cards Against Humanity. So then we went to Sunday. Sunday is kind of like the down day because, you know, everybody's recovering from the previous night. Um, but I did, it did not stop me from going to a few panels. Um, I wanted to spend most of the day with my friends. And many of them, because I knew I wouldn't probably see a lot of my friends until Dragon Con or next to T1B Con. But I did still end up going to the Hobbit panel. And I will say, before I talk about this Hobbit panel, I'm about to talk about spoilers for the next movie. So I'm, that's why I was kind of saving this one towards la to the last. Um, most of these spoilers aren't anything that's big, major plots, and honestly, if you've read the book, you would know about these spoilers. So, I, and the book's been out, what, since, like, the 40s, the 50s? So, it's been out a good, like, 50, 60 years, so you should read the book. Just saying. The Hobbit's great. Go read it. So, just a heads up, I'm about to talk about spoilers for the third Hobbit movie, and slash the book. So I was actually surprised that we didn't talk about as many spoilers for the movie, though, because um, obviously there are plot points that happen in the book. You know, certain characters are going to die. But, you know, as we've seen in the movie, that they've made a lot of changes. Like, they've added Tariel. Um, in the second movie, several of the dwarves stayed behind in Lake Town, which did not happen in the book. In the book, all the dwarves went um, to fight Smaug. And so... I, I was surprised we actually didn't talk about more of the movie spoilers versus the book spoilers. 
but this in no way made the panel bad. The panel was great because we were able to talk about uh, our thoughts on the on the movies and everything. So just to throw out a few things from my notes, FYI, this is your last chance. Spoilers. We're going to see Bard in action more. Uh, none of the dwarves were in Lake Town in the books, and this was probably to cut down on the action sequences in the mines. If you are familiar with the book, you know that Feely, Keely, and Thorin will all die. And because Keely might die, we have a high chance of Tariel dying as well. And this could, may or may not, push Legolas's hatred for dwarves. The Battle of Five Armies, we're going to see a throwdown with Thorin versus Azog. Um, and we also get to see Sauron, uh, Sauron driven out to become the big eye of Sauron. And hopefully we'll see, get to see Gladriel kick some ass to help out with that because she has yet to kick any ass, but we know she is a great warrior from the books. Um, the ending uh, will roll seamlessly into Lord of the Rings, so we'll probably bookend it like the way it opened with old Bilbo and, and Frodo. It will probably be a book, ending, a book end ending. We talked about a lot of the parts that were cut out. That was pretty much it for like our, our our theories and stuff and any spoilers for the next movie. Pretty much everything else is we talked about uh, our thoughts on the movie in general. We talked about um, our, our favorite scenes. We talked about the CGI. We talked about the actors. We all agreed that the riddles in the dark scene and the smog scene were the two best scenes in the franchise so far. And a lot of it is because of Martin Freeman's acting as Bilbo. We wouldn't be surprised if they tied back in Gollum at the end of the movie, but this is not confirmed. This was a theory. We also had this great discussion about the uh, influence of Smaug in sentient dragons in modern literature. Smaug was really one of the first cases of having a dragon that wasn't just like a dumb beast blowing fire. It was sentient, it was intelligent, it, it was old. And it, it knew the world, and we were, we talked about the influence that Smog had in literature to this day. We're hoping that there will be an explanation of Thren and Joel's scar, though we don't think we're going to see it. Um, we think in the Battle of Five Armies that it would be a good opportunity to bring in elves from Lord of the Rings like Haldir, but this is, once again, not confirmed. Uh, Craig Parker has gone on record to say that he has not been called back for Haldir. And he also announced, if you're going to DragonCon, that the uh, Tolkien track is having a Tolkien 70s dance party. Last year, apparently, they had an 80s dance party for the Tolkien track, and this year it's going to be 70s, uh, a 70s dance party. So if you're going to DragonCon, that's something to look forward to. Pretty much, we had this long discussion about CGI in these movies versus CGI in Lord of the Rings. Because, and I, I actually brought up this point because it's one of my least favorite parts of the new Hobbit movies was I just, I personally always loved that in Lord of the Rings, they had, I am just realized that I went to, like, a no Sherlock Holmes panels at a Sherlock Holmes convention. <laughs> Go me! I just realized that. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, I went to all, of, like, the other fandom panels. Uh, I One of my favorite parts about Lord of the Rings is that for the original movies, they would have, like, hundreds of volunteers come out, and they wouldn't get paid. They would just come out, and they would be put in makeup, whether they were elves or, or Urukai or orgs. And they would just be put in makeup to film these massive battle scenes. And a lot of them were just volunteers who weren't paid. And it was hundreds and hundreds of people. And that's something that made Lord of the Rings incredibly special. And the thing is, makeup holds up over the test of time. And we talked about this for The Hobbit, is that it's very heavy-handed CGI. And so you can tell that all the little goblins are CGI, and they're all computer-generated. And the thing is, makeup holds up over time. 
and CGI doesn't, because as technology continues to advance and how we get better technology, you'll see how the CGI will be flawed over time. The difference is, though, we, we, we pointed out that in the HD, like the crazy super HD that was released in the cinemas, you, it's easy to see where the CGI ends and the people begin. They said it's incredibly easy to see. But granted, the reason why they probably did this was they had less time to make The Hobbit uh, versus Lord of the Rings. For Lord of the Rings, they worked on it for, what, like 10 years? Like, like 7 to 10 years, and it took them, like, they filmed it all at once. And so they had more time to work on Lord of the Rings. Versus with The Hobbit, they probably had to go with CGI. They just didn't have the time frame to go and get hundreds of volunteers to come out and record these. Yeah, and we also talked about how they wanted to do CGI for a lot of the scenes because it was not as dangerous for the actors. I think they said that Richard Armitage, who plays Soren, I think that was the actor they said, almost drowned in the barrel scenes. Um, they, they, like, his barrel tipped, and they, like, he almost drowned. And so they, they also went with CGI to make it safer for the actors because they did have such a fast production schedule. So, and, and it was a fun panel. I, I was really sad to see, um, that's the last of my notes. Um, it was, it was a fun panel, and it was great to be able to talk about, and it really pumped me up for the new movie. I'm excited for this movie. So, that was pretty much the end of To Do On Beacon for me. Afterwards, um, I spent time with friends, and we said goodbye to each other, and I helped my artist friends, like, uh, break down Artist Alley and stuff like that. Um, and... I, I really enjoyed this group of friends because afterwards, for example, we went to Sweet Hut, Hut, Sweet Hut and then when you went to get pho, Sweet Hut is this Korean bakery in Atlanta. If you're ever in Atlanta, I highly suggest going there because it's delicious. And whenever I go to Atlanta, I, I always try to make an extra side trip to go to Sweet Hut because it's so delicious. And um, we also afterwards went and got pho, and that's what I, I really enjoy about this group of friends that I found. Because uh, something a little bit personal, and this is just my like love letter to my friends, is um, about two years ago, my three best friends moved to other states. And then my other best friend, while she's still here, she lives like an hour and a half away from me. Um, and like on the south side of Atlanta. Um, but so I had this time period where I just felt really alone. Um, you know, cause pretty much, and I was constantly working. So even like my high school friends and a lot of my friends that were still in town, I never got a chance to see them. Um, and I, I felt really alone and that's when I met this crazy group of Sherlockians and all these artists and these wonderful people who I, I can't imagine them not in my life now. And it's because of 221BCon that I solidified these relationships. Like, for example, my buddy Allison, who is the crazy baker, the Norman Reedus baker, um, she she uh, and I kind of knew each other before 221B Con last year, and it was spending time at 221B that, like, solidified our friendship, and same thing with, like, Amanda and Aaron and Lexi and, and all my friends and, and Sam and, and Jackie and, and Michelle and Kara, and just this convention is so warm and so welcoming and just has the greatest people in the entire world, and they, um, getting a little emotional, I'm sorry, uh, they just touched my life, and they opened me up to new experiences, like, before I met this group of people, I've never been to a Korean bakery, I never had pho, I never had dim sum, um, and it was, it's because of spending time with, like, Igrising and Dons and, and all these amazing people who I love so much, and I got to get closer with people this year, like, um, I remember radio, 
radio. It was a as a girl I met last year, but I didn't really get to talk to her. And this year we hung out a lot more. Same thing with Tracy. Like, it's the warmest, most welcoming convention that I've ever been to, and I got to meet great pe- a, a lot of great people who I didn't know, like Sketchlock. Sketch, <laughs> Sketch. I had met like two Dragon Cons ago. I danced with him at the uh, at, at the Yule Ball at Dragon Con two years ago, and I have a picture on my Facebook of me dancing with him. But the thing is, we never knew each other. And at the, this two two on Beacon, he was the Sherlock at, at the tea party, and then he was wearing his sheet uh, that we danced together at the Yule Ball, and I just stared at him, and I went. Oh my god, I totally know who you are. I, I met you like two years ago. And like we're now Facebook friends and we've we've chatted a few times since the convention. And that's why I love 221BCon. 221BCon is the warmest convention I've ever been to. You don't have to know a lick of anything about Sherlock Holmes. You could come in and like know 0% of knowledge, but you're going to be welcomed. You're going to be welcomed into this convention. You're going to be find people who are like-minded. You're going to find people who love you. And I, I absolutely love to do one Beacon, and I'm already looking forward to next year. It, it didn't hit me when I was leaving um, the convention that I wasn't going to see these people for a while. Because the thing is, like, I'm one of those people that time away from a person doesn't make me less of their friend. Uh, to me, um, I, can, uh, I, I have these friends that I don't see for a long periods of time, but when I get back together with them, it's like we never left. And... Um, and so when everybody was saying goodbye and people were crying, I, I didn't feel sad that I was leaving. It wasn't until the weekend after I was looking at pictures and I was listening to music and it just hit me that I wouldn't see the majority of these people for at least a month, uh, at least several months, if not another year. And I remember like my buddy Aubrey from NYC Sherlock and just knowing that she lives in New York and I'm not going to see her until 2015. And it just, it hit me how upset um, and how much I miss these people in my daily life. And that's going back to what Laura Jefferson said at the beginning, like that's why conventions are so important. And I try to explain this to people who have never been to a convention, what it's like to go to a a place where you have a bunch of like-minded people. And I like to use the example of sports, you know. I'm a big Braves fan, and, um, and but when you have, like, you know, sports fanatics – you might not be able to talk about sports in your daily life. Like, you might go to your job, and it might be a 9-to-5 job, and while you might have other people who, um, you know, might be similar fans to you, if you are a fanatic fan, you know, it's hard to find somebody who knows the amount of detail of, say, like, baseball or football or basketball. And when you go to a sports arena, you can find like-minded people who knows, you know, similar stats to players or where, how, where, what the team's ranking is. And that, that's the example I try to use. Or if, say, you're a music buff and, you know, you, you absolutely love music and you love this one band, you know everything about them. It's hard to find somebody in, like, normal life who loves it just as much as you do. But if you go to a concert, you're going to find similar fans who knows everything about the band and they've been following them for years just like you have and you have similar favorite songs and you understand why this other person loves this topic as much as you do. And that's why I love conventions, because there are people who are just like me, they love these things just as much, and I, I feel at home and welcomed at most conventions, but I was talking to Kath, um, who if you know, uh, Kathy is the uh, director that was in the 221VCon episode a couple episodes ago with me, I was telling her, um, you know, you should say that, you should change your tagline. And it should be, your tagline should be, 221 Beacon, now you're home. 
And she kind of looked at me and went, nah. <laughs> and, but that's how I treat it. I feel like I'm truly at home at 221BCon. And thank you guys for putting it together. And thank you guys for the wonderful time. I cannot wait till 2015. I'm so excited and stoked for it. Thank you for everyone who I interviewed who took the time to... I wish I got more interviews, personally. Um, thank you for everyone I and I interviewed and took time the other day. Thank you for Daniel for being so warm and welcoming and ready to tell me about the business. Thank you to all the new friends I made. And thank you to all my old friends who, who love me for me and accept me for me. And thank you for being in my life. And thank you, dear listener, um, for listening to this podcast. I, I appreciate you guys. I... I really, I really hope you enjoy this. I hope you enjoy future episodes. You can look forward to probably a three to four part Winter Soldier episode coming soon. It's already recorded. I just don't know how many episode parts it's going to be yet until I actually start editing it. Oh, I'm not looking forward to that. Um, but hey, if you like what I what I do, um, something we talked about the how to podcast panel is uh, getting reviews and ratings are like unicorns for podcasters. And so if you like what I do, uh, go over to iTunes, write me an interview. Or uh, break my show. If you, if you like it one star, great. If you like the four stars, amazing. Uh, if you if you like it one star, please tell me why <laughs> so I know what to improve on. Um, so, yeah, if you like what I do, go write me a, a review. I'd really appreciate that. And, yeah, thank you, and I'm looking uh, forward to 221BCon next year. All right, well, I don't have anything else. My name is Hope Molinax. You can find me at hopemolinax at twitter.com. You can also find me on Tumblr at geekygirlexperience.tumblr.com. I also have a Once Upon a Time blog. It's onceuponanobsession.tumblr.com. And you can find me on Facebook and the Two True Freaks group. And you can see me over at Who True Freaks as well. We just taught, had a show about the Doctor Who fandom and analyzing the Doctor Who fandom over the last 50 years. It's actually, really, it's a great episode. I'm not just saying that because I'm in it. I'm saying it because I really enjoy discussing it with Shag and Sean. And we did a great job, and it's, it's probably one of my favorite episode of, episodes of Who True Freaks I've recorded so far. So yeah, uh, just check me out. Hit me up. I'm very open and warm. If I'm at work, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And yeah, thank you so much for listening for, to this episode of Hope of All Trades. My name is Omar Max, like I said, and have a great day, guys. Bye.